Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Page to Screen edition of the Atkin County Public Library podcast, where each month we'll be discussing a book that has been turned into a movie or TV series, as well as the reception of each. This month, in anticipation of Halloween, we're digging up a horror classic that was published in 1977. This gothic horror novel is one of the most popular and enduring stories of all time, eclipsed perhaps only by its 1980 film adaptation. This story has been referenced throughout pop culture since the time of its release, from Friends to Toy Story 4 and everything in between. The Shining by Stephen King was adapted into a 1980 feature film of the same name, directed by Stanley Kubrick and co-written with Diane Johnson. The novel was also later adapted into a television miniseries, which premiered in 1997 on American Broadcasting Company, as well as an opera of the same name in 2016. For this episode discussion, we'll be referring solely to the 1980 Kubrick adaptation. The Shining was originally published in January of 1977 by Doubleday, an American publishing company. It's King's third published novel following Carrie and then Salem's Lot, as well as his first hardback bestseller. Its success firmly established King as a preeminent author in the horror genre. The settings and characters are influenced by King's personal experiences, including both his visit to the Stanley Hotel in 1974 and his struggle with alcoholism. Now, this is another one of those book-to-movie adaptations in which I had experienced the movie extensively before reading the book. Admittedly, I don't read a lot of horror. Um, I'm much more apt to pick up a murder mystery or a psychological thriller. But every Halloween, my husband and I have a 31 Days of Halloween movie marathon. This year, I am woefully behind. So far behind. (laughs) But I digress. And The Shining is always on our list. I feel the same way about The Shining as I do Tim Curry in that my Halloween season is not complete until I have watched it. Even if it's for the 7,000th time. Strangely enough, I always feel compelled to watch it on heavy snow days too. I couldn't tell you how old I was the first time I saw the movie, probably somewhere in my teens, but it's become a cinematic staple in my house. So this year, when fall rolled around and it was time to choose the next page-to-screen adaptation for the podcast, I figured it was about time that I read the book. The Shining checks out pretty frequently here at Yakin County Public Library, even over 50, 50 years after publication, which I would say is a real testament to the literary genius that is Stephen King. I personally have only read two other King novels, Carrie and the 1,100-page It, but his books check out pretty frequently here, so I'm slowly but surely working my way through his bibliography. I think Misery will probably be the next one I tackle because Annie Wilkes, need I say more? But that's a podcast topic for another day. To read The Shining is no small feat, and at 678 pages, it would take a standard work day to read, around 8 hours and 2 minutes for the average reader, reading at a speed of 300 words per minute. I intentionally started The Shining on a dark, rainy night towards the end of September, and if you're looking for a good book to spend reading on a dreary night between now and October 31st, look no further. While personally the movie is more terrifying for me, due largely in part to the amazing Jack Nicholson and his portrayal of the main character, more on that later, it's still a solid read. I couldn't really say as to whether I think the book or the movie is better, as I think that's kind of like comparing apples and oranges, but I don't know whether that's because I have such a solid attachment to the movie, or if they're truly amazing each in their own right. For me, the book was a bit of a slow start, but once I got really got into it, I couldn't put it down. The Shining centers on the life of Jack Torrance, a struggling writer and recovering alcoholic who accepts a position as the off-season caretaker of the historic Overlook Hotel in the Colorado Rockies. His family accompanies him on his job, including his young son, Danny Torrance, who possesses The Shining, which is an array of psychic abilities that allow Danny to see the hotel's horrific past. 
Soon after, a winter storm leaves them snowbound. The supernatural forces inhabiting the hotel influence Jack's sanity, leaving his wife and son in incredible danger. So, The Shining mainly takes place in the fictional Overlook Hotel, an isolated haunted resort hotel. Interestingly enough, at the beginning of the book, in the author's note, King has written, Some of the most beautiful hotel resorts in the world are located in Colorado, but the hotel on these pages is based on none of them. The Overlook and the people associated with it exist wholly in the author's imagination. However, that's not exactly true. After writing Carrie and Salem's Lot, which are both set in small towns in King's native Maine, which Maine is a setting for many of his novels, including it, King was looking for a change of pace for the next book. He says, I wanted to spend a year away from Maine so that my next novel would have a different sort of background. King opened an atlas of the U.S. on the kitchen table and randomly pointed to a location, which turned out to be Boulder, Colorado. On October 30, 1974, King and his wife, Tabitha, checked into the Stanley Hotel in nearby Estes Park, Colorado. They were the only two guests in the hotel that night. When we arrived, they were just getting ready to close for the season, and we found ourselves the only guests in the place, with all these long, empty corridors. Ten years later, King had read Ray Brad. I'm sorry, ten years earlier, King had read Ray Bradbury's 1950 short story, The Belt, and was inspired to write a story about a person whose dreams would become real. In 1972, King started a novel entitled Darkshine, which was to be about a psychic boy in a psychic amusement park, but the idea never came to fruition, and he abandoned the book. During the night at the Stanley, this story came back to him. King and his wife had dinner that evening in the grand dining room, totally alone. They were offered one choice for dinner, the only meal still available. Taped orchestral music played in the room, and there was theirs was the only table set for dining. Except for our table, all the chairs were up on the tables. So the music is echoing down the hall, and I mean, it was like God had put me there to hear that and see those things. And by the time I went to bed that night, I had the whole book in mind. After dinner, his wife decided to turn in, but King took a walk around the empty hotel. He ended up in the bar and was served drinks by a bartender named Grady. That sound familiar? (laughs) That night, I dreamed of my three-year-old son running through the corridors, looking back over his shoulders, eyes wide, screaming. He was being chased by a fire hose. I woke up with a tremendous jerk, sweating all over, within an inch of falling out of bed. I got up, lit a cigarette, sat in a chair, looking out the window at the Rockies, and by the time the cigarette was done, I had the bones of the book firmly set in my mind. The Shining was also heavily influenced by Shirley Jackson's 1959 novel, The Haunting of Hill House, Edgar Allan Poe's short stories, The Fall of the House of Usher, and The Mask of the Red Death, which is cited at the beginning of the book, and Robert Morasco's 1973 novel, Burnt Offerings. The story has often been compared to Guy de Maupassant's story, The End. I hope I said that right. I probably didn't. So back to the Overlook, the history of the hotel, which is described in backstory by several characters, includes the death of some of its guests and a former winter caretaker, Delbert Grady, who succumbed to cabin fever and killed his family and himself. Jack Torrance, his wife Wendy, and their five-year-old son Danny move into the hotel after Jack accepts the position as winter caretaker. Jack is an aspiring writer and recovering alcoholic with anger issues which, prior to the story, had caused him to accidentally break Danny's arm and lose his position as a teacher after assaulting a student. Jack hopes that the hotel's seclusion will help him reconnect with his family and give him the motivation needed to work on a play. Danny, unknown to his parents, possesses psychic abilities referred to as shining, which enable him to read minds and experience premonitions as well as clairvoyance. The Torrances arrive at the hotel on closing day and are given a tour by the manager. 
They meet Dick Halloran, the chef, who possesses similar abilities to Danny's and helps to explain them to him, giving Halloran and Danny a special connection. The remaining staff and guests depart the hotel, leaving the Torrances alone in the hotel for the winter. Without giving any more of the plot away, the rest of the book portrays Jack Torrance's gradual descent into madness and the effect that the malevolent spirits in the Overlook have on his family. Like many of Stephen King's novels, The Shining is saturated with paranormal elements. The Overlook Hotel is full of unexplained occurrences and spirits of the past, keeping the Torrances in a constant state of fear. The book also focuses on families and the way various forms of dysfunction, such as jealousy, insanity, abuse, and addiction, can rip them apart. At the center of the novel is the Torrance family, Jack, Wendy, and Danny, and they are fighting considerable odds. There are many moments within the book in which Wendy is teetering on the edge of divorce, but hangs on for the sake of Danny, who is exceptionally close with his father. Despite the obvious dysfunction present within the Torrances, as well as many of the families portrayed in the novel, there is an undeniable bond among, among family men members that remains, even until the end of the book, between Jack and Danny, for example, which suggests the connection within a family unit can never really be destroyed. I did really enjoy The Shining, and I would recommend it if you're looking for a good horror read. I wouldn't say that I enjoyed it more than the movie. Um, I did enjoy them both separately um, and of their own right. So we do have two copies of The Shining at Yakin County Public Library, and if you would like to place a hold or come check out this book, all you need is an NC Cardinal Library card. So obviously the book has been a success over the past 54 years, but how about the subsequent movie adaptation that followed? Three years after The Shining was published, a movie of the same name was released, produced, and directed by the enigmatic Stanley Kubrick, who is frequently cited as one of the greatest filmmakers in cinematic history and co-written with novelist Diane Johnson. Stephen King has been quoted as saying that although Kubrick made a film with memorable Im imagery and really the beginning of the movie is beautiful. If you haven't seen it, it's iconic. Um, I don't even know how to explain it. The mountains, the, the hotel, it's all beautiful. So beautiful movie. But he has been quoted as saying that it was poor as an adaptation and that it is the only adaptation of his novels that he could remember hating. In quotes. In fact, he has spoken out quite frequently over the years about his distaste for the movie, and when the novel was also later adapted into a television miniseries, King wrote and closely monitored the making of the series to ensure that it followed the novel's narrative. The miniseries garnered popular and critical acclaim, but in recent years has been received less fondly by critics compared to Kubrick's film. I myself have never seen the miniseries, so I can't really give an opinion on it one way or the other. Critical opinion has become more favorable than King's over the years, with the film now widely considered one of the greatest and most influential horror films ever made and a staple of pop culture. In 2018, the film was selected for preservation in the United States National Film Registry by the Library of Congress as being culturally, historically, or aesthetically significant. The movie is also certified fresh with a Rotten Tomatoes score of 84%, as well as a 93% audience rating. Both parodies and homages to The Shining are prominent in UK and US popular culture, particularly in films, TV shows, video games, and music. Images and scenes frequently referenced are the Grady Girls in the Hallway, the word Red Rum, and it's so funny because just on my Facebook feed the other day, one of my friends had posted a picture of some socks that he had bought and how excited he was about the socks. And I was, <laughs> thought, okay, well, let me see these socks. Well, they were um, shining related. They had Red Rum written on them and so even to this day, you know, those kind of things are still coming out. People are still excited about anything related to the movie. Um, the blood that spills out of the elevator doors and, of course, Jack sticking his head through the hole in the bathroom door and saying, here's Johnny. 
there are so many homages throughout pop culture that there's no way I would ever be able to list them all here. But if it's something that you're interested in, going down that rabbit hole, the internet is always a wealth of information. To say that the movie had an impact on popular culture would be a gross understatement. I think that can be attested to not only Kubrick's vision as a director, but the movie is also a testament to the talent of the one and only Jack Nicholson. So Nicholson was fresh off of One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, which is another fantastic movie. If you haven't seen it, you should, when production for The Shining began. So that had just happened, so he was still kind of riding that wave. Though King vehemently opposed Nicholson for the lead as Jack Torrance, Nicholson was Kubrick's first choice, and from the beginning, the writer was told that the actor for the lead role was not negotiable. I think Robert De Niro is somebody that had been considered, but um, later on he said that the movie actually gave him nightmares for months. So Jack Nicholson was the clear choice. Stephen King, for his part, disavowed Nicholson because he thought that since he had shot one flare of the cuckoo's nest, the viewer would tend to consider him an unstable individual from the very beginning. For this reason, King preferred Michael Moriarty, John Voight, or Martin Sheen for the role, who would more faithfully represent the profile of the everyman or ordinary individual who is gradually driven into madness. After reading the book, I can understand King's concerns. Book Jack is, despite many bad decisions um, prior to the real beginning of the book he's a family man at heart he desperately loves his family uh, he loves wendy and jack uh, wendy and danny and his descent into the darkness is slow and gradual he does all these bad things but at the heart he still really loves his family and he's trying to hold on to them in fact for the first 200 pages of the book we get jack and wendy's backstory and what led them to that fateful winter at the overlook the book is a slow burn uh, basically that's 20 almost 15 to 20 percent of the book is just backstory um, and so it's a slow burn, whereas in the movie, you get the feeling that Jack is kind of teetering on the precipice of madness from the very beginning. I couldn't find the quote, but I do remember hearing somebody say that basically um, in the book, Jack is, you know, trying to hold on to that sanity. But in the movie, Jack Nicholson's portrayal of him is basically an insane person that's trying to pretend like they're sane from the get go. And I could kind of see that. I wish I could remember who said that or where I saw it, but I couldn't find it again. But that's the sense that you get from Nicholson's portrayal of uh, Jack Torrance. And I don't know if that perception is due to the many roles I've seen Nicholson in over the years of his career or if that was at the direction of Kubrick, but you definitely get the sense that Jack is mad from the get-go. With that said, I still could not imagine any, any other actor portraying Jack Torrance, and one has to wonder that if there had been a change of cast, would the movie be the enduring icon that it is today? I don't know. I guess we'll never know. So on to the other main characters. Jack Nicholson initially suggested that Jessica Lange, um, she's actually, you probably know her from all of the American Horror Story season. She was in Tootsie, amazing actress. But he suggested that she would be a better fit for Stephen King's Wendy. And actually, I never knew that. I learned that while researching for this episode. And honestly, I think she would have been amazing and she would have been a better fit for the book Wendy that I had in mind because book Wendy is blonde and really mentally strong and kind of an equal to Jack as far as um, intelligence and uh, just her kind of sense of humor go. However, Shelley Duvall knew early on that she was the one cast for the role. Unlike the character in the novel, the Wendy in the film would have a vulnerable personality, weak of character, and submissive towards her husband. To carve out that character of her and give her more credibility throughout the filming, the director pushed her to her limit, even going so far as to humiliate her in front of all her colleagues. It's said that the scene in which, armed with the baseball bat, she goes back down the stairs before the attack of her husband, 
which was one of the most reshot scenes in all of cinema. She was not representing a terrified woman. Shelley was literally terrified. According to the Guinness Book of World Records, Kubrick demanded the shot be repeated 127 times. And if you've seen the movie, you know which scene I'm talking about. That is just, that blows my mind that anybody could shoot that that many times and, and get it the way that they did. Duvall is very open about her experience playing Wendy Torrance in The Shining. In multiple interviews, she has stated that playing the part in the horror movie was the most difficult role that she's ever played in her life. According to the actor, she had to cry every day for 12 hours while hyperventilating and running around, transforming her into this character of the terrified wife whose life is at risk. Duvall was in a state of constant torment, and in an interview with Roger Ebert, Ebert the actor admits filming the movie was almost unbearable. I remember reading, and again, I couldn't find this, so it may just be an urban legend, but I remember reading that she, her hair was falling out by the end of production, just from all the stress that she was put through for this role. Duval reveals in the documentary, I wouldn't trade the experience for anything. Why? Because of Stanley. It was such a fascinating experience. It was such intense work that I think it makes you smarter, but I wouldn't want to go through it again. For the casting of Danny, the director's initial candidate to play the role of the Torrance's son was Carrie Guffey from Close Encounters of the Third Kind, but the young actor's parents prevented him, claiming that it was a film too gruesome for a child. In his search to find the right actor to play Danny, Kubrick sent a husband and wife team, Leon and Kirsty Vitali, to Chicago, Denver, and Cincinnati to create an interview pool of 5,000 boys over a six-month period. These cities were chosen since Kubrick was looking for a boy with an accent that fell in between Jack Nicholson's and Shelley Duvall's speech patterns. Danny Lloyd was eventually chosen, and during the filming, the little actor was protected in a special way by Kubrick. In fact, the boy believed at all times that he was shooting a drama, not a horror movie. Following his role in the 1982 film Will, G. Gordon Liddy, Danny Lloyd abandoned his acting career. Also, Benjamin Sherman Crothers, better known as Scatman Crothers, was cast as the overlooked cook that the Torrance's meet at the beginning of the story, Dick, Dick Halloran, and was awarded with a Saturn Award for Best Supporting Actor for his role in the movie. As far as the plot line for the movie goes, it follows the book for the most part with a few changes here and there, the biggest being the character, um, some would say assassination of Jack Torrance and his lack of almost depth or an arc within the movie, as well as the ending itself. I don't want to give the ending away if you haven't seen it, but the two are as different as... Um, shall we say, <laughs> fire and ice. That's all I'm going to say about that. But if you've seen the movie and read the book, you'll know what I mean. If you haven't seen the movie yet, I would highly recommend it. The sequel that came out a few years ago starring Ewan McGregor is also fantastic. And it even got the seal of approval from King itself, himself. I haven't read Dr. Sleep yet. I've seen the movie several times. I actually bought it. I uh, really enjoyed it. Um, it's just really good. It ties in The Shining, the movie, and the book. It just ties everything together really well. And it, I think it, it pretty much redeemed The Shining uh, for King. I remember reading that in a quote from him. So uh, that's another one. If you haven't seen it and you like The Shining, you should go watch it. I think it's safe to say that The Shining has been a major literary and cinematic success. If you read the book and enjoyed it, I would highly recommend the movie to you. Or if you're just looking for something dark and terrifying to watch, this is the movie for you. We do not currently own a copy here at Yatkin County Public Library, but we can place it on hold for you with an NC Cardinal Library card. Or if you do have a subscription to HBO Max, I think it's streaming there right now through their video service. So if you're familiar with either of these, I would love to hear how all of you felt about the book or the movie or both. 
So feel free to follow us on social media, whether it be Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or Pinterest, we'd be happy to see you there. And if you haven't already, hit that follow button so you can follow this weekly podcast. Each week, Yakin County Library staff will be bringing you more topics, so be sure to check in every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Thanks for listening, and I'll catch you all next month for the next installment of Page to Screen. Happy Wednesday, everyone.